Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet em, greet em, treat em, and street em. Today's date is October 10th, 2018, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Mill. The title of today's podcast is Larry in the Den with Kiwis. Low-dose ketamine versus opioids for acute pain. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Corey Heinz. Corey is an emergency physician from Roanoke, Virginia. He's also the CME editor for Academic Emergency Medicine. Welcome back to the S-Gem for another hot off the press, Corey. Thanks, Ken. As usual, it's great to be back. You know, I follow you on Instagram. Uh-oh. Only recently. And you have the most adventurous life. So bring us up to speed. <laughs> What's going on? What are the updates? What are the announcements? What, what, what hill have you mountain biked up? Well, the typical hills are the ones here around Roanoke. Uh, but in the past couple months, I did take a trip out to Denver um, for a couple concerts and a little hike out there. And then I think you saw that my secret trip when we were on our last recording was a nice 10-day whirlwind tour of Iceland, which was absolutely amazing. I am so looking to going to Iceland someday and go, Skull! <laughs> it is one thing you have to know if you go to Iceland. I got to tell you, you know, it's really popular to get to go there right now because it's very cheap to get there. The Icelandic uh, air, airlines have done a really good job of dropping the prices to get people to the country, and it is not cheap to be in the country. We had been in Iceland for about seven days, and we were in a curio shop or whatever in Reykjavik, and there were a couple, a couple people who were clearly on multi-hour layovers, and we'd been there for about a week, and I saw this guy hitting his phone, doing a, doing some calculations and just shaking his head and going, that that can't be right. <laughs> and I looked over at him and I'm like, it's it's right, sir. It's right. Oh, yes, it is right. All right. Well, why don't you give us a case to kick this uh, S-Gem hop off? All right. Well, you are caring for a 38-year-old male named Larry who presents to the emergency department with lower back pain. During your evaluation, he tells you he doesn't want any narcotic pain medication. You wonder if there are alternative options, and a colleague reminds you that ketamine has recently gained a lot of exposure as a possible alternative. The amelioration of pain and suffering should be one of the top priorities for emergency physicians. In 2001, Jayco made pain the fifth vital sign to address the issue of oligoanalgesia, or the inadequate addressing of pain. Now, you know, Corey, I like five, but I have to say I didn't like this <laughs> fifth vital sign, and it's unfortunately created many problems. Opiates became a very common treatment for acute pain in the ED setting after the Joint Commission recommendations and the introduction of new and powerful opioids like oxycodone. However, in recent years, an increased desire for alternatives has been prompted in an attempt to reduce opioid usage. The pendulum is swinging to opiophobia or the fear of opioids. This can leave the patients left in the middle with ineffective pain management. One alternative or adjunct to limit the use of opioids in the ED is low-dose ketamine. Several studies have been performed evaluating low-dose ketamine for acute pain with a variety of methodological designs, time endpoints, and doses. We've covered some of those papers and watched the literature develop over the years on the SGEM. The first paper we did on ketamine for pain control was SGEM 111 comfortably numb. And the bottom line from that one was high quality published evidence to support the use of subdissociative 
dose ketamines to quickly reduce acute pain in the ED setting is lacking, but lower quality studies inconsistently demonstrate effectiveness with uniformly low risk of adverse effects. In addition, there is SGEM number 130, low-dose ketamine for acute pain control in the emergency department, in which two ketamine papers were reviewed. The bottom line there was for patients who have a contraindication to opioids, such as allergy or hypotension, subdissociative ketamine would be a reasonable option to consider for treating acute pain. For the second study, the bottom line was further validation in other settings is needed, but ketamine is a relatively safe option for patients who do not achieve analgesia with high doses of morphine or are unable to tolerate them. And the most recent paper we did on ketamine was 198, and this was better slow down. And the bottom line was slowing down the rate of low-dose IV ketamine infusion to 15 minutes significantly reduces the rate of feeling of unreality and sedation, with no difference in analgesic efficacy when compared to IV push over 3 to 5 minutes. All right, that's enough background information. Let's get to the clinical question, Corey. Sure, Ken. Is ketamine at a dose of less than or equal to 0.5 milligrams per kilogram as effective as opiates for the treatment of acute pain in the emergency department? And what reference do you have? We're going to use Carlo et al., a systematic review and meta-analysis of ketamine as an alternative to opioids for acute pain in the emergency department, academic emergency medicine, October 2018. All right, let's run through the PICO. What was the population? They included randomized controlled trials with emergency department patients greater than or equal to 18 years old who received low-dose ketamine for acute pain. And then they had a number of exclusions, and I'll list those in the show notes. What was the intervention? Less than or equal to 0.5 milligrams per kilogram of ketamine, IV, bolus, slow push, or short infusion. And what did they compare it to? IV opioids converted into morphine equivalents. And then they had primary and secondary outcomes. What was the primary outcome? Numeric rating scale or visual analog scale measured within 60 minutes. And the secondary outcomes? Adverse events and the requirement of additional dosing or analgesics. Well, let's pause here and let's take the time to introduce the lead and senior author of this hot-off-the-press paper from AEM. Nicholas Carlo is a fourth-year medical student and a graduate of the Masters of Population Health Sciences program at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. Welcome to the SGEM, Nick. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. We also have the senior author, Dr. Evan Schwartz. Evan is an associate professor of emergency medicine and the medical toxicology section chief at Washington University's School of Medicine in St. Louis. Welcome to the SGEM, Evan. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, we're going to turn back to Nick because Nick, even though you were the fourth year medical student, you were the lead author. So congratulations on getting published while still in medical school. Quite an accomplishment. Thanks very much. So you get to give your conclusions. Okay. Ketamine is not inferior to morphine for the control of acute pain, indicating that ketamine can be considered as an alternative to opioids for short-term pain control in the emergency department. All right, let's go through the quality checklist for therapeutic systematic reviews. First question, Corey, the clinical question. Is it sensible and answerable? Yes, it is, Ken. Was the search for studies detailed and exhaustive? I'm going to give that one an unsure. How about the primary studies? Were they high methodological quality? Yes, they were. The assessment of the studies were reproducible? Yes, it was. The outcomes were clinically relevant? Yes, they were. There was low statistical heterogeneity for the primary outcomes? Uh, again, I'm going to go with unsure on this one. And the seventh and final question, the treatment effect. Was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Yes. 
All right, let's run through the key results. They did an extensive search of English language only publications and found three randomized control trials for a total of 261 patients. What was the main result? Low-dose ketamine was not inferior to morphine as an analgesic. Okay, for that primary outcome, the NRS or the VAS within 60 minutes, what were the details on that? The pooled estimated difference between ketamine and morphine equivalents was 0.42 with a 95% confidence interval of negative 0.7 to 1.54. Yeah, and it's important to look at that uh, lower end of the 95% confidence interval. It was negative 0.7, and that is less than the lower end of inferiority established at minus 1.4. All right, how about the secondary outcomes? No serious adverse events were reported and higher rates of non-severe adverse events were seen with ketamine. All right, Corey, talk nerdy to me, and let's ask Evan and Nick some questions to probe their study for validity. And I know, Nick, you're probably looking forward to this the most. Excellent. So question number one, let's talk about your inclusion criteria. Your inclusion criteria ultimately limited the studies to just three. Can you discuss your reasoning behind the strict selection of studies? Was there any search of unpublished abstracts or non-English language studies? So as far as our strict inclusion criteria, we really wanted to narrow our study inclusion down to what we see as the key clinical question, namely how ketamine's analgesic efficacy compares to that of opioids, which are, of course, uh, one of the main standards of care for acute pain in the ED. So previous reviews on this subject included co-administration of ketamine with other drugs and in comparison to placebo control groups, neither of which really answers this question. So despite ultimately only including three studies, I do believe that our search was detailed and exhaustive. It was conducted by a fully trained medical librarian. And as far as great literature, we searched several databases for ongoing unpublished trials. Regarding being limited to the English language, Though it is true that we included being published in the English language as an inclusion criteria, we did not use English language filter or restriction in our search. And if you look at our flowchart, no trials were excluded on the basis of not being published in English. So we are pretty confident that this inclusion criteria did not actually limit our search. Finally, I think the fact that our search identified a trial from 2014 that was not identified by previous reviews published in 2015 or 16 speaks to just how exhaustive our search really was. Well, this is just a shout out to anybody who wants to do a systematic review and meta-analysis. I encourage you, get a hold of a medical librarian. They are fantastic. All right, the second point we wanted to talk about was heterogeneity. The heterogeneity was fairly high with an I squared of 64.3%. How should we interpret the results given such differences between the three studies and did you do anything to address the heterogeneity? Yeah, so both to address this heterogeneity and to test the validity of our previously mentioned very strict inclusion criteria, we pre-planned two sensitivity analyses, uh, wherein we re-ran the meta-analysis twice, once with the most similar excluded trial, the Granani trial included, and once with the most different of the included trials, the study performed in Iran, excluded. So the Granani trial showed a superior effect of ketamine over morphine at the 10-minute time point. So though we did not actually have the data necessary to run the analysis, we can say that if we had performed this analysis, it would have very likely farther favored ketamine over morphine. As well, when we removed the trial from Iran, which limited inclusions to long bone fractures, 
uh, compared to the two American trials, which enrolled any of abdominal flank or MSK pain. The result of this second sensitivity analysis actually statistically significantly favored ketamine over morphine, uh, though this difference was still not clinically significant. Uh, all this is to say that the consistency of our results through these two sensitivity analyses uh, strengthens our confidence both in the validity of our strict inclusion criteria as well as in the meaningfulness of our result despite the moderate to high level of heterogeneity. I think that's really good when you explain things like that because we can't just have some dichotomous outcome like, oh, the I squared was high, so we throw everything out, or the I squared was low, and so we accept the conclusions. And that you actually did a sensitivity analysis and probed your literature for its validity. So I think that really helps. Thank you. Okay, so moving on to number three. The sample size of the included trials was fairly small, and therefore the confidence interval of the primary outcome was fairly wide. Do you think there is a possibility that with increased patient numbers, a benefit of one over the other could be uncovered? So this was clearly a concern of ours with our strict inclusion criteria. We knew we only had three trials and only 261 patients. Um, so while we can't say that a larger study wouldn't have produced other results, at least anecdotally, this seems to be congruent with our clinical experiences and the experiences of others. All right, let's move on to number four, and that's individual patient data. You were able to get individual patient data from two of the three studies, Motov and Miller, but not from Maginidad. Can you explain the advantage to having individual patient data when conducting a systematic review and meta-analysis? Yeah, so with trials like these, where you can measure pre and post pain scores, or you can measure the differences between those groups, there are many slightly different outcome measures that authors can choose to calculate and report. So even just across our three included RCTs, we found that these differences were large enough that we couldn't perform a meta-analysis without converting to the standardized mean difference scale and consequently losing statistical power. Having the patient-level data from Miller and Motov trials allowed us to calculate the proper outcome measures that we needed to then perform a meta-analysis in a scale that was also extractable from the data reported in the Iranian trial. So let's move on to number five. You chose 10 minutes as the primary outcome timeline. Is it possible that one of the treatments has a longer-lasting effect, making it overall more effective? Can you discuss whether and how this was addressed? So we were limited here in that the 10-minute time frame was the only time frame reported in the Iranian trial. So I certainly agree that this could be a possible issue, but it just some, wasn't something we could address across the three trials with the data as it was reported. An additional sensitivity analysis only pulling the Motov and Miller data could have looked at this farther, uh, but it's just not something we decided to pursue at the time as it would mean giving up more than a third of our patients. So we're halfway through our nerdy questions, and Evan Schwartz has only answered one of them, and Nick is really pulling the weight here. So with the next set of five, I'm hoping there'll be a regression to the mean. Number six, this is about adverse events. As you discussed, the number of adverse events were small and not able to be analyzed statistically. Most of the adverse events from the ketamine group are short-lived. Is it possible the adverse events from morphine, while potentially less numerous and not able to be quantified, could be worse overall? Sure. So I'd just say this kind of mirrors our actual writing of the paper where Nick did most of the work and I barely pulled my weight there too. So we're just doing the same thing here. Welcome to senior authorship. Exactly. It's, it's pretty nice. So it's definitely a concern of ours that 
some of the effects from morphine could have been a little bit delayed and maybe more serious, especially in patients that have renal failure, and you might not see the respiratory depression until later. And especially when you can compare this to ketamine, where the adverse events seem to be much more minor. And then if you did other things, such as actually use a short infusion instead of a bolus, where that seems to even limit the adverse effects of ketamine even more. So for number seven, the requirement for additional dosing or analgesics was another secondary outcome mentioned in the methods, but not in the results. Why did you not report or discuss this secondary outcome? So Miller reported rescue medication requests, um, but he did not give specific administration time points. So it's hard to know what additional medications were administered within the first 10 minutes. Motov recorded need for rescue analgesia at either 30 or 60 minutes. And the Iranian trial reported that four patients in the ketamine arm required a rescue dose during the trial. I'm not sure how we could best have combined this data, but I do think it was a slight oversight on our part not to mention it in our results. So it was something you planned on doing at the outset, but then when you ultimately looked at your data, you just didn't have the information necessarily. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there may, I haven't thought about it too much. There may still have been a good way to put that data together. I'm not sure, Dr. Schwartz, if you have any other thoughts. Yeah, it just wasn't measured well in the studies. And if you look at the Iranian study, even though they do report the four patients, how they reported is somewhat confusing, and they don't mention anything about the morphine arm. But I think in all the editing, we did forget to put that part back in the discussion as a limitation. All right, let's move on to number eight. And and this was interesting to note. You cited FOMED in the discussion as a reason ketamine had been adopted by the EM world as an alternative to opioids, a merging of traditional and non-traditional publications for knowledge translation. You can probably hear the excitement in my voice. The only problem is I didn't see the SGEM cited. Well, uh, Ken... Uh... This was a clear mistake on our part. Um, in fact, I believe I came across at least one article by S. Jim in our primary search itself. We will certainly correct this in future publications. All right, gentlemen, what to do at discharge? Can you comment on your thoughts about how to treat patients who improve with ketamine after they are discharged? Frequently, when we treat patients with opiates in the emergency department, we either discharge them with opiates or instructions to use NSAIDs or prescription NSAIDs. But generally, I don't think many of us are prescribing ketamine. Sure. So this is something difficult. I know a lot of uh, emergency providers like to discharge patients with whatever seemed to work while they were in the hospital. I think there are some physicians who have com compounding pharmacies and can do oral ketamine that way. But that seems to be pretty rare, and I'm not familiar with that myself. So it kind of limits us to ibuprofen or Tylenol once they're discharged, if you don't think they need something stronger, or if they need something stronger, you may have to turn to a short prescription of opioids. Yeah, I have a little anecdotal experience with this myself. I had a guy in the ED a few months back who had had 16 years of back pain, and we gave him low-dose ketamine. And again, back to the anecdotal medicine, it was the first time he'd been pain-free in 16 years and wanted to know how he could see me as an outpatient and how he could get more of this ketamine stuff. Yeah, so we we ultimately referred him to pain management and said, you know, that's something you can discuss with them. Sometimes they have the ability to prescribe that. Right, and this is the 10th and final question, and it's an open-ended question that I like because we may not have thought of things to ask you. So is there anything else you would like to say about your systematic review and meta-analysis or about ketamine in general? 
Well, I, I would just like to encourage any uh, medical students or other less experienced researchers out there listening uh, that performing a meta-analysis on a question that interests you can be a really great opportunity to get involved and make a meaningful contribution to the clinical research process, even in the absence of the sort of resources necessary uh, to perform RCTs and other large projects. I'd also like to say that this just wouldn't be possible without um, Dr. Schwartz's continued uh, mentorship throughout the process. and. Dr. Carpenter's as well, as well as the MPHS program, particularly Dr. Kolditz and Carrie Stoll were instrumental in the process. Well, you're working at a great institution, and I know that they put out a lot of high-quality, clinically relevant research. So you're lucky to be working in an institution with that kind of culture. All right, Corey, it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions, and they're both listening. Can we agree with the author's conclusions? Oh, okay. Can you give me an SGEM bottom line? Sure can. Ketamine at a dose of less than or equal to 0.5 milligrams per kilogram is non-inferior to opioid analgesics for acute pain in the ED. It is possible that over a longer time period or with increased study of a greater number of patients that one of the treatments would show benefit over the other. And how are you going to resolve the case? You discussed the possibility of using ketamine with Larry. He is interested in trying, and you give 0.3 milligrams per kilogram intravenously with a decrease in the patient's pain level. He does not report any feelings of unreality. All right, and how are you going to take this new systematic review and meta-analysis and apply it clinically? In this time of transition between algoanalgesia and opiophobia, IV ketamine offers a potential solution. It can minimize or avoid opioids while at the same time providing relief to ED patients with acute pain. And so what are you going to tell Larry specifically? Ketamine is a non-opiate analgesic that has been shown to be similarly effective to opiates such as morphine for acute pain. There are some potential side effects, but these are not severe. Giving it to you as a slow infusion over 10 minutes or so should reduce the chances of you having a serious side effect. All right, it's time for the Keener Contest, and last week's winner was Brittany Mesner. She's an emergency department nurse from London, Ontario. She knew the term triage originated approximately in 1792. It was taken from the French word trier, meaning to sort or to select. This process was used by Napoleon's surgeon-in-chief. Initially, triage was mostly used in mass casualty situations to determine who needed immediate, urgent, and non-urgent care. Corey, what's the question this week? What type of receptor antagonist is ketamine? Well, if you know the answer, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Now, there has been some other FOMED resources on ketamine, and I'll list those in the show notes. Now it's your turn, SGEMers. What do you think of this episode? Tweet your comments using hashtag SGEMHOP. What questions do you have for Nick and Evan and their team about low-dose ketamine for pain control? Ask them on the SGEM blog. The best social media feedback will be published in Academic Emergency Medicine. Also, don't forget that those of you who are subscribers to Academic Emergency Medicine can head over to the AEM homepage and get CME credit for this podcast and article. We will put the process on the SGM blog. Well, happy Thanksgiving in advance, Corey. We, of course, have already celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving last weekend. Yeah, I saw that, Ken. When I saw your Facebook and Instagram posts talking about Thanksgiving, I wondered if I was post-night shift or what I was delirious about, and then I remembered where you live. It's pretty much the same as American Thanksgiving, without maybe the football and a lot more maple syrup. But otherwise, yeah, pretty much the same. 
Well, thank you, Evan, for coming on the SGEM and telling us about your systematic review on ketamine. Uh, thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure being there. Good luck, Nick, in the rest of your medical school getting published again in AEM. Should help you, wink, wink, get you into the residency of your choice. Thank you very much. It was really an honor to be here. Well, Nick, you get to read the SGEM tagline, but you're going to have to do it in your best Missouri. Missouri, did I say that right? Missouri accent. All right. This is not something I prepared for. Um, remember to be skeptical of anything you learn. Even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week. Mm -hmm.